Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide to the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer. You join me with the pitter-patter of rain on my roof. I can hear it very well. You may be able to catch a bit of it. If not, tough. <laughs> yes, you wouldn't have thought it's nearly July, but there we go. This week, I am actually about to go to my first gig, and I'm very, very excited. When I say that, this week, I mean this week as I'm saying it, not this week as the episode goes out. bit confusing that, but there we go. I record these things ahead of time. This is not important. This week, I'm talking with Did and Grant of Empire. You may have seen Empire in and around the rock music kind of scene. They're really getting a name for themselves. Really good guys. Really, really good chat we had this time. We discuss all sorts of things like the most intense band tryouts I've ever heard of, what happened in Ibiza and afterwards, and what to do in a gig when your gear breaks on you. Shock horror. Anyway, on with the interview. So today on the podcast, I'm joined by Grant and Did of Empire. How are you both? I'm well, thanks. Yourself? Very good. <laughs> Did? Excellent. Yeah, happy to be here, Phil. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. So my first question, as always, is from a random question generator. Uh, so I don't know what it's going to say. And my random question generator for you both is, what would you do on a free afternoon in the middle of the week? Oh, that's a good question. Grant, do you want to go first or shall I go first? Um, I can go first. A uh, few options, either go to the pub go for a run or um, practice my bass or take the kids to the park. So there's a few different options there. There's quite a few options there. Um, I would probably go to the local cafe, which is about a five minute walk and have a cappuccino and do the crossword because I'm an old man trapped inside a young man's body. <laughs> I, lo- I love a, I love a crossword and I try and do one a day. So Free afternoon, um, that is how I would spend my time. Rock and roll. Yeah, we're both very rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) So, moving on to uh, more serious questions. How did you both get into music? Okay, so uh, so basically, uh, I started off with music, learning uh, keyboards and piano in my youth, which I kind of wasn't into, actually, that much. I had piano lessons and did some grades, I actually, as a child, wanted to be in the NBA. Basketball was my thing. uh, And I ended up playing sort of county basketball at one point. But there was a point I was playing uh, in duos with a guitarist. And he had an electric guitar. And I was playing keyboards. We were playing like 80s pop hits in like assembly and things. And I remember at one practice, he had a Red Squire Strat. And uh, I think he nipped off to the toilet. And I just grabbed his guitar and it was set to the overdrive setting. I was about 11 years old at this point and I just hit the low E string. And I remember that sound to this day, just thinking, what have I been doing? (laughs) I was just like, that is a sound, you know, that sounds cool. Just the drone of the low E. And then it was six months of begging uh, my parents for an electric guitar and my mum was like, no, we've invested in keyboard lessons. He's doing well. We'll get him a synthesizer or a keytar or something. And uh, then on my birthday, I went to Patrick Reed Music, which unfortunately is no longer there in Ketchum, which was like a, a specialist kind of fender shop in my hometown. And my dad and my brother, uh, we, we walked away with uh, my first Squire Strat. And uh, basically, I, I taught myself for about three months 
which was very difficult, very difficult. And then I had lessons at school and pretty much immediately got involved in a local music center, learning classical guitar, acoustic guitar and band uh, guitar. And we did concerts. And then I was in uh, a first electric band within the first year doing covers and originals with my brother on drums. And we used to go to uh, like a kind of rock school at the William Nibb Centre, which was a local um, kind of council community centre. And uh, we used to rehearse every week. And that's how I got into gigging straight away. But that was kind of the origins of me um, starting off in music, uh, really, really got into guitar. And then sort of later on in my teens, really got back into piano. Uh, really got back into piano playing, and that is now uh, quite a significant part of what Empire does. We have quite a lot of piano, uh, in, especially on the, the other side, the last album uh, we uh, released, and we've still got one piano single to release from that album. So uh, that's, that's kind of the origins of where I started with music. Well, for me, it's my, it's my dad's fault. So my dad is a guitarist, uh, and I grew up with him gigging sort of every weekend going out you know playing the pub circuit and so um i'd wait up and wait for him to come back from gigs and you know when i was about sort of 13 14 started going to gigs with him and so it's something that was uh you know i kind of watched him on stage and wanted to kind of be there with him and so at the age of 14, I started sort of depping with his band. So I started off as, as a drummer. I tried guitar when I was much younger and, you know, didn't really get on with it. I found hitting stuff was, you know, more suited to me. Um, funnily enough, though, I'm now a bass player, so I've kind of transitioned from drums to bass. So maybe that's like an evolution or something. But uh, yes, it's, it's my dad's fault. So... Uh, and we still play in bands together occasionally, you know, to this day. Um, we performed together at my sister's wedding some years ago. We've got another wedding that we're going to be playing, you know, together on. So it's uh, something that we still do, and it's it's very important to me. That's quite nice. Like, my, my parents are responsible for my music taste as well, but I've never played with them in music, which that's pretty cool. So... How did the band get together? So you both, you know, you've both picked up your instruments, um, but then how did you find each other? Basically, um, me and Henrik, uh, the the lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist uh, in Empire, we've known each other uh, for a long time, and it it kind Empire grew out actually of a covers band. We were in a Northamptonshire band called Great Divide, which was a bit of a different kind of covers band. We only played music we wanted to play uh, i'd just graduated from music college i'd posted an ad because uh, i'd met a bass player uh, that we wanted a singer to do some trio acoustic gigs and we heard henrik's voice and just completely blown away we did one gig within the first two weeks and got a residency at a local venue playing there every fortnight straight away and but when i heard henrik walk in and he sung like plush uh, by stone temple pilots alive we did some radiohead some matchbox 20 i'd just graduated from guitar x in london and i'd spent the year with international musicians singers guitarists bassists drummers vocalists and like top session uh, vocalists and 
I was like, this guy's been on my doorstep. You know, how have I not bumped into him? And I was absolutely, you know, encapsulated with his voice. And I just knew from day one that he, he, his wasn't, a, as well as an exceptional covers voice, there was something special about his voice that was suited towards originals. I've done originals for, you know, throughout the years. And I just thought we've got to get around to that at some point. The issue was, before we met uh, the amazing Grant and Elia, that Great Divide kind of became very, very popular, the covers band. We ended up on doing wedding gigs and getting booked for parties. And we were having a good time. And, you know, there's not many wedding bands that go out there and play like Guns N' Roses and Pearl Jam and Queens of the Stone Age and Audio Slave. You know, why would you want that at a wedding? You used to go down at, like a lead balloon on the dance floor. But it became so popular that, um, you know, the, the originals kind of took a back seat. But sort of around sort of 2015, 2016, me and Henrik were writing acoustic music. You know, we were writing uh, acoustic originals, and but we couldn't source uh, a bass player and a drummer that um, had the same passion and enthusiasm for what we wanted to achieve with our own music. And uh, that's when Gran uh, first came along. After we recorded a couple of EPs with friends, Gran came along and joined us. And it's actually your anniversary today of your first gig yeah. with us, isn't it, Gran? Yeah, yeah it's uh, pretty much four years today, which, uh, yeah, I was quite surprised by that. Yeah, the time has flown by. So I had to go through an audition process. So uh, Empire are very, very picky, and rightly so. So uh, I was banging on the door, trying to do everything I could to persuade them to let me in. And after a few months, it literally the audition process lasted months. So I remember the uh, first audition. I learned the tracks, I played them, thought, nailed it. They're just going to give me the job on the spot. And they kind of uh, walked out, had a conversation. I thought, let's go a few more bits and really started sort of, you know, going through into the detail and sort of, really going through some of the um, sort of technicalities. So the standards in Empire were so high. So uh, I'm not the musician that, uh, that, that did is, or, or the talent that Henrik is. So I really had to uh, work very, very hard to up my game to demonstrate that I could perform at the level I needed to, um, and also demonstrate that I really wanted it. Because, you know, we, we all put so much into this band. You know, it's, uh, we all sacrifice a lot to to have the opportunities to have the time you know, to take advantage of opportunities etc you know it's um it's very demanding and I had to demonstrate that yes yeah i want in because the last thing you need is a member who's half-hearted or you know at some point decides that he's had enough because then you've got to find another you know musician and that puts you back potentially months if you're in the middle of a you know if you need to go tour or you've got some gigs lined up you know you need to kind of be confident that all your members are all looking in the same direction and all want the same thing. Um, what was it that made you pursue rehearsing and improving yourself in order to get into the band? Because surely there must have been at least a little bit of temptation to go, oh, no, this is too hard. I'm not going to bother. There was never that temptation. I, I remember sort of listening to the music and thinking this is exactly, you know, the sort of band I want to be part of. Yeah, um, yeah. The songs are a good mixture. They're well written. The music, I think, is accessible. There's elements of lots of different genres, and I, I found that intriguing and, and interesting. 
And and what was also really important for me is having listened to the music, you'd hear the quality, and then actually playing with uh, and you know, rehearsing with you know, Did and Henrik. You know the the standards were so high, and I always believe that you know if you want to improve, you need to surround yourself with people who are better than you. And, and they were. And so there's nothing like putting yourself into a difficult situation um, to make you up your game and sort of focus and help you improve as a musician or as an individual. So you, you uh, pushed forward and then you were accepted into the band and here you are. I think they got eventually got bored of me um, sort of begging and uh, <laughs> said, yeah, yes, finally. Qu- quite the opposite. We, we, we had we had the other interest and we had to give everyone a fair, fair go. And and Grant just like like tick, ticked the boxes outside of the musical ability as well. Obviously, you need that when you're recruiting. You need the right kind of uh, individual that can obviously play the parts and bring his own creativity to the band and moving forward and the dedication and the passion. But you've also got to get on with the person as well. You know, like we're all f- mutually friends uh in the band and we we bring it we bring in a plethora of different influences grant has got some really really unique interest in music that he listens to um that we've been exposed to uh one one of the bands that i'd never heard of that i'm checking out loads is that soan band grant that mm, we were yeah. listening to and we all bring that to the band so it's it if it, I mean, this podcast uh, is going out to like up and coming musicians, isn't it? And people interested in getting into music and collaborating with songwriters and music producers. I think what's imperative outside of musicality is that on a human level, you've got to find mutual people with the right attitude, the right dedication that you can get on with as as a friend, as as a person, because you are going to be out on the road. You're going to be together. You're going to have issues in a band. You're going to have problems and struggles, just like anything in life. And if you're with people that don't get on with each other, we know how that turns out. But if you've got your mates with you, that whole area becomes so much easier dealing with all the um, trials and tribulations of, of creating great music. So... Grant um, had that in spades as well as the uh, musical ability as well. So uh, we had to we had to let some people down, unfortunately, and we went with G Unit instead. <laughs> Best decision ever. I think that's a really important decision to make sure it's somebody you get on with. That can't be underestimated. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really important because you know when you're on the on the road, you live in each other's pockets. Yeah, we're all artists. We've all got sort of fiery tempers, and so and um, you disagree. You know, if you're when you're writing, it's you know it can be quite sort of emotional, and you're you're pouring yourself into music, and when someone's telling you I don't like that, you know, you need to have the sort of relationship where you can discuss, but also. Yeah, that you will fall out from time to time uh, over things, and and the relationships need to be such that that's recoverable and not a problem, and you can move past it. Exactly. Moving over a little bit, what was your first gig like as a band? Is this as Empire or the first time we were ever on stage? Oh, uh, let's say as Empire. <laughs> okay, so uh, the first, the very first Empire gig, I think, was for, for me and Henrik. We only did a few songs live and it was part of a cover set 
So it was the traditional thing of you're a covers band and you throw in some originals. And it was filmed on probably like an iPhone 3. <laughs> uh, I think there's still some footage of it. And we played, if I remember, we played a song uh, which is on Self-Aware, which has changed dramatically since Grant's in involvement in the, in the band. Uh, Something Remains... I think we probably played Just a Ride, and we played a cheesy, cheesy love song called Infinity, which got scrapped. But it was so... I loved it. I mean, I, I like... Uh, it was kind of like a rock ballad. Um, it, it suited Henrik's voice. But over, over time, like Grant's saying, there's certain things, you know, where you can write entire songs, and they just thought, oh, no, it's not working. You know, we've got to scrap that. But it was really, really fun. And then we would have we would have trialled it, um, at various other kind of covers band gig nights. The very, very first proper full originals gig night was a, a venue that's now unfortunately closed in Corby called the Zombie Hut. And we got notice for that on the week. We went there. We supported a band called Black Orchid Empire, unbelievably, which I don't know if you've heard of them, Phil. You might have, they might have crossed your circles. They're a, they're a metal band. The name rings a bell. I, yeah, I Black em, Empire without the Y, Black Orchid Empire, and we we supported them, and I just I just remember it. It was great fun. It was great fun to do a whole set of originals, and we had a good sound. We had our friends there, and it was a proper spit and sawdust rock venue in Corby. We had a good audience for the first one, and um, yeah, that was the first one. It was it was really good. Where was the first um, gig? With the current lineup, I'm trying to remember. Was it was it in London and Camden? Your first gig, your fir uh, as in with Elliot, with Elliot, and with me. Elliot was the first gig. Was actually the or we had a kind of um, a band competition to play at Call of the Wild Festival in Lincolnshire, and we did a heat uh, in in Lincoln, a, ven a rock venue in Lincoln, and that was Elliot's first gig with us. So he was similar to grant when the opportunity arrived for a, we needed a drummer a dedicated drummer that really wanted to do it he just leaped uh, leapt on board i'd played with elliot for a number of years uh in various other iterations in other things that we were involved in um and then at that point i was just currently just doing empire only and we he did that gig with us and we won the heat and we got the gig <laughs> so not bad for him uh, I remember it was extremely loud that night, Grant, wasn't it? That gig. Mm -hmm. Massive PA system in a small room. But yeah, yeah, he, he did great. And uh, his second gig was also um, one of these competitions and we won that as well. So yeah, it was a good start for Elliot. So have you um, have you had any nightmare experience gigs as a band where it feels like loads of things went wrong? Or Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, well, you can you can tell the Ibiza story if you want post gig oh oh, oh truth yes so um this is this is going out to musicians and other things they, they need to realize what can happen when you're in a different country so yeah we're playing um the hrh road trip festival uh in ibiza um we were playing in a club that's normally what kind of music is it it's more, yeah you kind of standard sort of club type thing they convert it into a rock venue for the weekend. And so we got to play there and that was really, really cool. Um, it was a great gig. Um, I think was massive wagons playing that night with us as well. I think. Yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah. So we've been drinking all day, uh, spent a few hours sobering up 
uh, played the gig, went really well, and uh, we were celebrating. And uh, um, I'm not entirely sure what happened, but I think Henrik fell on me or something, and uh, I managed to rupture my calf muscle. And so I couldn't walk for the rest of the weekend. And so I was on painkillers and crutches um, and self-medicating with a lot of um, beer and coffee for the rest of the weekend. And we had other gigs, which were a bit of a struggle. Managed to get through those. But where it got really difficult is we had a bunch of gigs lined up and festivals after Ibiza. So we got back to the UK in the early hours of the Monday morning. I went straight to A&E and um, yeah, it was, um, it was pretty, pretty painful, pretty difficult um, and a fairly long recovery. Like with a, with a break, they can just put a plaster cast, but when you, you tear a muscle, um, there's not a great deal you can do about it. So while I was recovering, we still had the gig. So I was hobbling around on crutches uh, unable really to walk very well and then getting on stage um you know because i didn't we didn't cancel any gigs i was determined we were going to do these and then you know trying to rock out with a a leg not working properly so we invested in a kind of stool which i, don't know, I felt pretty uncomfortable using it didn't feel very rock and roll so i might kind of perch on it between songs but you start playing it's like no no i can't do this so that was that was pretty difficult, but yeah, you know, we got through it. Should have uh, you should have made yourself a throne like Dave Grohl. Oh uh, yeah, that would have been a good idea. That nightclub Phil was called Eden. It's one of the main yeah. nightclubs in Ibiza, one of the central ones where basically in season, you know, some of the biggest DJs in the world go on, and, you know, and, and that whole nightlife scene, Ibiza club scene. That's where it happened. Some of the the big the big names in the kind of techno and electro world play there but out of season just before the season starts hrh go out there and kind of take over uh san antonio ground isn't it that area and they have various mm-hmm. rock rock venues set up and we got to play on on that main stage there and then like grant was saying we had another gig that weekend and he'd uh injured and for uh, 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 unfortunately with that injury and it was in an abandoned zoo in Ibiza, which was a seal enclosure, which is another highlight of the band uh, playing there. In terms of disastrous things for me at gigs, I've had uh, your stereotypical guitarist amp blow up on stage, um, which uh, another band on the scene, uh, Scam, kindly helped with providing another amp mid-set. That was at uh, the King Billy Rock Bar in Northampton. I've had pedals go out... um, what other things, Grant? There's loads, isn't there, for me? Well, that, that particular amp kind of uh, managed to fail at several gigs because uh, there's a festival in Carlisle we're playing. It kind of it went on like the penultimate track we we're playing. Um, that that went a few, at um, there was another festival. What was it called? Um, where it was kind of uh, only in the last few minutes managed to get it working before we went on. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. so when your gear starts failing and yeah, as you know, you know when you're touring your gear, it, it, it has a hard life, and uh, you know it's expensive. This stuff, you know, amps cost a lot of money, and so it's not the sort of thing at our level we can afford. You know, to have you know, many backups or any backups at all because it's uh, you know we we don't have you know Fender in Dead's case kind of backing us up yet. Uh, but maybe one day that'd be nice. Yeah, there was um, some detective work with. Uh, uh, this amp though, because every time it blew up, 
uh, I got it repaired and restored. And actually, it was because tube amplifiers. That's what I use. You know, some some tube amplifiers go for forty, fifty years, and they don't have, even have the tubes replaced. You know, they're so so like th- this had a lifespan of about four years, and I'd used the series previously over a period of a decade, but and I'm still using this amp. <laughs> Um, but it's got a particular inherent fault with the circuitry that tends to break down after a period of four years. So the, the latest one I've brought has got a five-year warranty. And they, I explained to them, you know, the company in U- the UK, why I needed five years. And they were like, okay, we understand. So if anything goes wrong, that I'm, I'm assured that I can get a replacement or equivalent because there's an inherent fault in it, but it's my sound. So I've uh, Grant is a massive uh, gear enthusiast like myself, and we know what we like. And even though this wonderful Supersonic 22 amplifier has this inherent fault of a four-year, five-year lifespan, whereas some of the other Fender amps have a you know 50 years with nothing going wrong with them, only general maintenance uh i still use it so quite a surprising prop it's a great bit of kit it's a weird thing for them to do but there we are so it's uh, as a gigging musician i suppose one of the things it's really really important to think about is contingency plans so uh if you're on the road you, you need to know that if if you know your amp breaks what you're going to do about it you know if you're if you break a string what you're going to do about it i know it sounds sort of you know obvious but you need to go through your entire rig and make sure that you have um sort of plans in place so you know if uh you know you're preamping your bass files you know you know, do you have a backup bass can you switch to passive if you break a string what are you going to do about it yeah if your amp blows up can you di straight in so make sure that you're kind of pre-prepared so if something does happen you can kind of just uh enact the plan that you already have and go right that's fine let's just do this and you can carry on with the gig because if you're trying to work out what you're trying to do mid-set then you know you're a you're in trouble. I guess you can be a bit of a, a rabbit in the headlights if you just sort of encounter Rob and you go, uh, what now? We're mid-song. Uh, exactly, yeah. It's, it's, it's the worst feeling being on stage and you know your, your gear breaks and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, I don't want to think about it, to be honest. Um, I was quite right. What a horrible thing to think about. So there we are. You may have noticed I've not actually finished the interview. That's because this is an extra long chat that we had. So I've actually divided it into two. So the next part of the interview is going to come out next week. I'm going to borrow from part of next week's episode, though, because I asked Did and Grant what their favourite songs of the band were so that I could play one at the end of the podcast. Now, as it turns out, they each had a song that they wanted to play. So I thought since I've actually split the whole interview into two, I'd split their song choices, one in each episode. So this is Empire with Stone. Come on, dog. 
and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide to the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer. 
It may interest you to know that I actually record that little snippet of sentence or two every single time for the podcast individually. I don't know why I do this. I don't know why I haven't pre-recorded it. But that, once again, is not important. This week, I carry on my interview with Did and Grant of Empire. We carry on from last week to discuss things like what social distance gigs are like as a performer, trying out your newly written songs live and seeing how people react to them, and working at your band end goals and working towards those. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, strongly recommend you listen to that before carrying on here because it's direct conversation straight on from the previous week. If you listen to last week's episode, you'll also know that Stone was one of their favourite songs. At the end of the episode, you'll find out why. Anyway, on with the interview. What was your first gig after lockdown like? I think I'm right in saying you've actually had a few sort of throughout the last year and a bit we've been pretty fortunate um the, the band we all live in within uh the county of northamptonshire and throughout the you know the, the various lockdowns henrik was doing various live streams and i joined him on a couple um we also managed to do one electric gig in blackpool which was social distance during last year and a couple of shows a local venue where we're actually playing next weekend uh called the black prince which is um one of the northampton venues so the i mean we were fortunate in that respect it was good to be back on stage that that's been the main um thing for empire though with the pandemic how we've been affected is the absence of being on stage the live music you know because we're a band that want to get out there as much as possible Prior to the pandemic, we just got off the back of playing one of our biggest events with Planet Rock called uh, Winter's End. And we'd had such a brilliant reception uh, from that audience. Then we did a couple of tour dates with a band called Dax and Roxanne and then this hit. So we, we had a lot of cancellations, but we did get some shows in last year and we are gigging now. So um it was it, it was it was great to be back. That's that's my answer. You know, that was that uh, we had a. Uh, you know, good crowd. There were some acoustic shows and one electric show. It felt quite different um, doing those gigs because you almost get used to gigging every weekend and it becomes the norm. So after you know, a long period of, of not performing, actually getting back on stage again was quite exciting and uh, had nerves again, which is not something I've kind of had for a while. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The nerves definitely returned. Yeah, because of the absence, uh, certainly... Uh, this this last lockdown has been probably the longest. Uh, our first gig was when was it? About a month ago, Grant, where we were back at the Waterloo. Is it has it been that long already? Yeah, probably about three weeks, four weeks, something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. There's there was some apprehension in terms of like, oh, we're getting back on. We had a really good sound check and everything, and getting gig fit again. I think the nerves were kicking in. Definitely, definitely for for the first return to the stage. Was it one of those things where you're internally going, can I remember how to do this kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit like, you know, a skier who get, they say in skiing, the phrase is you get your ski legs back, you know, just like uh, after, if you have an absence of like sort of six months of not skiing and then it takes a good, you know, hour or so, two hours to get them back and then you're back to normal. 
Yeah, it's not the same, is it? As in playing in the rehearsal room or you know, rehearsing at home is, is very different from being on stage. And so, yeah. you know, it's kind of, there's the performance aspect, which yeah, is, um, you kind of take for granted, but it is something you do need to think about. You know, how, how are you being perceived on stage? And, you know, you're not just looking at your fretboard all the time and, and putting in a show. It's you know, it's not the same. And if you don't do it, which we weren't able to, then, you know, that does suffer. So, yeah, we've got to get gig fit again. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with, with what we've done so far, uh, so far sort of with the, with the uh, lockdown easing and the gigs we've done. You know, we've um, sort of rapidly getting back to where we were, but it's going to take a, a little longer to kind of get everything back and hopefully better. I've um, I've actually yet to go to a gig since lockdown's lifted. I've got one that I'm planning on going to in a couple of weeks. I'm very, very excited. But I, I guess a question I've got is, what's it like as a performer when you're in a venue and everyone's sat down and maybe they're at tables as well, which is a very different experience to a, a quote-unquote normal gig a year and a bit ago. It does feel different. Uh, it does feel limited. Obviously, it's not as engaging and the the atmosphere and the vibe, the vibe is different in that respect. But as long as people are enjoying it, which, you know, by judging by the people that are happy to come out and pay for the tickets and fill up a venue and sit on seats and have table service. That's the main thing. And as long as we can uh, deliver a, a good show all round in that respect too, but definitely the preference is normality, you know, for people to enjoy shows off stage as much as the musicians enjoy them on stage. What was really humbling and very, very cool is the gigs that we did do, you know, between lockdowns, when things were relaxed, people were coming a long way to come and see us. So when we played you know, locally for us in Northampton, the Black Prince, uh, we had some Empire fans coming from well up north, coming to um, see the show, you know, driving for hours and hours. So it, it was seated, but you know, it was still pretty special. So moving over to a different uh, side of the band, how do you approach songwriting as a, a band? Uh, so songwriting uh, that can come come from various you know influences and things. Generally, uh, myself or the lead singer Henrik might have an idea for a song, a riff, uh, a lyric idea that can come from so many different kinds of inspirations, and then we'll we'll basically work together to shape a song and add lyrics and maybe record some ideas demos and they're always changing you know certain uh we we always have stupid names for the original ideas like so current ones are like things like panasonic screwdriver card factory uh there's there's been clock turtle clock clock turtle there's there's some they all have silly names creepy steve uh <laughs> You have to. But they're nothing to do with the song. They're nothing to do with the song. It's just a signature thing with Empire that that any kind of song idea, and then it kind of goes into a folder where we can build it with uh, phone recordings or demos or anything. And then we generally exchange myself and then we'll send it to the guys. You know, we've got this this idea and things. And what do you think of this? And then we'll try and shape an overall song structure format with parts. And then the real exciting stuff starts to happen. When we bring it to Grant and Elliot and they can use their creativity to add their parts and 
try their ideas out. And we're ve- as Grant said earlier, we're very, very pedantic and specific with every aspect of notes and groove and cymbal hits and tempos and pitching and harmony and solo here, solo not here, too busy solo. We're ve- That's when the real exciting stuff happens, where we break down songs in the rehearsal room and they take they they take on the form that will then go into the studio. We always prepare in advance in the studio in terms of having full demo shaped to tempo, uh, a general pretty close to the uh, uh, as much as we can. And uh, yeah, generally that's a songwriting process. And ideas and influences can come from so many so many different areas of life so if if i think about uh some of the tracks of self-aware our electric album so uh my bad is a song henrik kind of put together with a riff idea uh, a cool delay thing and, and and lyrics and everything and that's about me and him arguing on messenger <laughs> you know that's his, his perspective of us arguing about band issues and you know various things uh, Just a Ride is a philosophical song uh, that is lyrically and uh, an ode to the late, great Bill Hicks, uh, who's a favourite comedian of mine who had a monologue speech about how uh, life as an experience for an individual is much like the ride on a roller coaster that has ups and downs. Um, Homegrown is kind of a, uh, an observation of the damage in uh, beliefs that religion can have on, on on someone's life, you know, it's uh, the how people can be sort of like programmed and uh, disillusioned by, you know, religious doctrine and that self belief and uh, m- might be a little better. Only way out's kind of like indirectly about self belief. Too close was inspired by the yin and yang idea of like uh, duality. Uh, and I thought, you know, Slipknot have done a song called Duality, <laughs> but ours is completely different, and it's kind of got police iterations, and it kind of ta- tackles that, you know, you can't have the good in life without the bad, you can't have up without down, it's all those kind of opposite ideas, alongside personal struggle as well in life, you know, personal struggle that uh, I've had to contend with at certain points in my life. So they can come from all sources in terms of inspiration. Sometimes it starts with a a word or a phrase. Sometimes it starts with a riff or a melody. But like I say, the the real interest in stuff creatively is when we get the drums and the bass into the practice room and we start, you know, shaping the track. And then we love to gig test them. We love to gig test new songs. Uh, Our recent performance was at love rocks in in bournemouth and we gig tested two brand new songs so stuff like that is is really cool to see our creative efforts how an audience respond to a track never never heard before and uh yeah that's that's generally it phil think that uh gives you a bit of an overview i think it's something that a lot of bands really underestimate is that gigging experience because how a song plays in the rehearsal room or even you know on the computer if you're demoing it is very different to live because you might want some parts where you can have say the audience chanting along or whatever it is and you you, you're right you don't know if that's going to work until you actually go out there and try it so we have gig tested tracks which have then not worked at all so the opening track the self-aware 
uh, my bad. Uh, the first time we played that, that did not go well. Um, and we had to take it back and rework the track. But as, uh, as, a, as a result, it works much better and it is what it is now. Otherwise, potentially, it wouldn't have been. Um, we wouldn't have got to that point with it. Where it is a bit tricky, with, with lockdown, we have written a lot of music. But what we haven't done is that gig test. A lot of self-aware was gigged over months or years before it was recorded. Whereas you know, the next album, which uh, a lot of it is written, but we haven't done the gig testing. So the first two tracks that we've gigged have gone down pretty well and worked pretty well, which I'm happy about. So fingers crossed for the rest. Because I guess you don't want to go into a gig and go, here is entirely new music you've never heard before. Well, a lot of the people we're playing to um, may not have seen us. So at the, for example, at the Love Rocks Festival we just played, there are plenty of Empire t-shirts in the crowd. But we know from talking to people at the merch stand afterwards, there's plenty of people there that hadn't seen us before or had heard of us but not heard our music. So there are plenty of people that even the existing stuff will be the you know, it will be new to them. So not too worried about that. You mentioned the idea of going into the studio and recording. What? How do you record yourselves? Do you go kind of DIY or do you go into the studio or is it a kind of blend of those approaches? Well, the the demos are recorded in home studios and over lockdown, we've all had to kind of adapt and border, uh, build our own little home studios to then um, work together and collaborate on, on tracks. So we'll get demos done up to pr- a pretty reasonable standard which then go to our producer before we get into the studio. But when we record the albums, then they they are done in the studio. Self-Aware was completely done in the studio. The other side was mostly done in the studio. I think there was some on-location piano stuff recorded. Uh, and my bass parts, you know, we did at Henrix, uh, you know, straight into um, DI. But apart from that, it was all done in the studio. Is there any reason why that is your primary choice of location to record? There's the quality of the environment, you know, the, the speakers. Obviously, when you're in your home studios, you know, working with your sort of headphones and sort of laptop and you know, cheap mics, it's not the same as going into a studio with uh, an engineer who's very experienced, who understands the space, uh, understands how to mic something up, how to get the best sounds. Uh, you know, the, the the engineer also acts, you know, Neil Parler acts as a sort of producer as well. So is kind of when you're going through that process, almost like a member of the band. It's it's important, you know, it's um, you know, for consistency. It's also a space where you can be loud. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's a big advantage that, that you don't have to find creative ways to record things like drums. You, you can just do it wherever in the studio. But yeah, recording drums is quite quite the art. So it's it's not a case of sticking in a room mic. You've got to know where to position them, and also tuning and having access to in studios as well. They'll typically have a, quite a lot of equipment. So while our drummer will have his own kit and snares on a particular track, there may be actually you know what a wooden snare here would would sound better, or a brass snare, or something like that. So it's 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 also a space where you can be really. Um creative isn't it that you can try some weird and wonderful ideas yes yeah, science laboratory you know the studio is particularly as well for like recording guitars certain uh guitars you know with like my amp sound on it but like for dublin you might want a, a more aggressive sound and especially for like capturing pure acoustics with a nice room sound of things acoustic guitars can be quite difficult 
to um, capture um, the classic thing in a studio environment is that the, the sound of the, the hand movement on the frets and everything. And you can have like literally to get to the purest, you know, natural room mic sound of capturing a, a, an acoustic guitar's tonality and with, with the right kind of microphone, the, the results are just like the, the, a diff, diff, different league in terms of just like recording your acoustic guitar at home. So it's, I think it's the degree of professionalism and the gear available, the environment. And yeah, like, like you say that the, the creativity is like a laboratory and um, for like other musicians listening, I think preparation is key. If you can have, demos and everything in advance know your parts you know being being able to execute them as as best as you can know what kind of sounds you want uh, in your head and uh don't be afraid to ask questions and try and record as if you know you're playing live to some degree you know so uh, try and play with the same conviction and the same attack that you play live uh, because it, it is a different experience recording in a studio with the red light going on compared to at the end of a night at a gig when all the adrenaline's there. So if you can try and capture that play in essence with recording, that's uh, that can certainly make a difference. Well, you need to capture the essence. It's, it's also there's no there's nowhere to hide in the studio. Yeah, if anything is sloppy or, or not quite right. Yeah, it's it's going to be heard in a live mix. You can get away with quite a lot. Yeah, particularly yeah, in a, if you're playing sort of uh, heavy, loud tracks. You know, yeah, some sort of uh, you know, loud rock kind of uh, sound. Then there's a lot of room to hide. It doesn't matter if you're a little bit loose or if you don't quite get all the right notes. In the studio, if you're recording, yeah, that's going to be recorded and you'll play it back and. Yeah, there's nowhere to hide. So preparation is absolutely key. Yeah, and the other, of course, the other good thing about a demo when you go into the studio to record the the proper thing is if you're doing um, a recording approach where you do one instrument at a time, it means that the drummer has so much more to listen to of a complete track rather than just a rhythm guitar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, working with a click in his ear. Yeah, just playing off certain things. It's it's a real asset. Yes, good point. Makes for much better music at the end of the day. I think. Yeah. So how is the band managed? Do you have a sort of single point person or do you share out tasks? How do you go about that? We're, we're actually with a uh, company called uh, Rock People Management, RPM, and we've been there with them for a number of years. Terry's the head of that. Uh, Terry's got a team and we've also got um, Dan alongside us who's from earache uh x earache records as well so he's a a really really good asset and uh the, the kind of the management is they they help with the the development and growth of the band as well as the the festivals and then henrik's sort of um, a massive asset to the the band as well because he's got a huge business background as well so he's 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 just really really intrinsic and clued into the the logistics side of things and management and you know running a smooth ship so primarily um we have a management company we work with that's a team and and henrik alongside of that who i, I kind of share responsibilities with but generally in that respect i'm very much following his lead because of his experience and he's just so good at it and um then yeah the, the the duties are then 
shared amongst the musicians as well in terms of taking care of social media, taking care of, uh, you know, all, all those aspects of, you know, contacting companies and promoting and, you know, it, it's, a, it's a team effort, I'd say, Phil, is the best, but we do have management. How did you um, find them or did they find you? <laughs> a bit a bit of both, really. We, we were aware of, of RPM and I think uh, what happened was Terry managed to catch one of our early self-made drive videos, which we filmed in a car park in Birmingham. Really, really nice car park. It was actually one of my students' car parks and I think made the contact there. And then we went up, myself and Henrik went up to Lancaster for a uh, a meeting. And at the time, she was just starting off in management. She had a lot of uh, background in the music industry and a lot of European experience, uh, you know, with uh, companies like HRH and kind of branching off our own as a manager and was very intrinsic in the success that massive wagons have had because that's her partner's band and they're they're now a charting band and they they have played arenas and things so uh yeah she's um she also manages us nice people to be with it sounds like to me so when you were going up to that meeting and you knew you were going to have to chat business talk (laughs) about the band and things like that how do you prepare for that kind of meeting i think um well, you've got to try and look at things objectively and we're in a creative industry, but I think any, any band has got got a kind of approach, you know, what's the end goal? What, what One of the, the, the real useful things with having Henrik at the forefront is prior to meeting to Terry, we, we were going for various consultancy meetings with various industry people. We ended up in London. We I think we ended up somewhere... So uh, we ended up somewhere near Manchester, meeting various industry, ex-label people, you know, that had been in the industry for 20 years, ex, you know, PR or current PR people and current, you you know, people working in the the music industry. And we managed to meet quite a high profile um, character that was now independent. And he'd worked with some some serious people. music industry labels at the, at the highest level, but was now kind of independent and working with various companies. He sat us down and he said, okay, guys, I've listened to the music. What do you want to do? He said, I think me and Henrik literally would, we were still kind of trying to for, form the band. He said, what, what's the end goal here? Do you want to record albums? Do you want to uh, be a successful touring band? Do you need booking agent? What, what, what's the end goal? And, me and Henrik both agreed that what we wanted to do with Empire is play the biggest rock festivals, be a part of the lineup in Europe and the UK, be on those big stages, secure those big t- tour supports, you know, with uh, international bands. And that's the the direction we uh, we wanted to pursue. So I think for people looking at management, you've got to know kind of what what is your what is your goal for the band what do you want to achieve in the long run because if that doesn't marry well with what you want to achieve you might not need management you know if if you want to you might be able to do just as much independently and you know in your dependent on your goal so have have kind of a, an idea of a path where you want in the long run for the band to go and then 
you can management can discuss short term plans and you know release schedules and things like that but have an end goal with and that's what we're 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 pursuing we're we're always chasing um that end goal of playing those huge festivals and developing the band to that level so yeah just to build on that it is important to set objectives so you got to know where you want to get but also in those sort of short medium terms kind of have a a list and agree with management you know what is it that we want to achieve because you need to kind of measure performance against those and if you're not hitting those objectives you then got to analyze them so you've got to yeah even though we're some musicians you have to think about the business side of things as well um if you're paying management then you need to make sure that you're getting your money's worth and it's important that you can measure their performance and also it's important not just to kind of measure performance but also if you're not hitting those targets why aren't you hitting those targets yeah is it something in the band that you're not doing um are you taking the wrong approach so you've got to be analytical at the same time and i think that's something that a lot of musicians struggle with unfortunately so what we're an interesting bunch in empire so henrik's come from comes from sort of a, a business background i work in as a, as a day job in it so i'm used to doing quite a lot of analysis and sort of uh, planning and project management so you find sort of those elements of what you do in your day job can sort of creep into into your music it's a very handy set of skills i must say for a band <laughs> to have that kind of switched onness to know what you need to know for the business side of the band absolutely yeah what would you consider is your biggest success as a band so far grant what would you say the biz- biggest success so far i think for me is probably winter's end i think that was a, a culmination of a lot of work which kind of came together in one really special gig it's one of those gigs that could have could have gone either either way because of the the circumstance you know we had illnesses in the band and some accidents and mishaps you know before the gig which put challenges it, it may have not even gone ahead but it went ahead and it was one of those gigs where it was packed yeah we got an incredible reception there were important industry people in the room who saw us for the first time and and got what we were trying to do there was a a bit of a buzz going around about you know that performance we had a a 45 minute queue at the merch stand we completely sold out merch and i think that sent a message and off the back of that a lot of doors have kind of opened for us and so yeah that's definitely you know one of the the pinnacle moments i think for empire and quite uh, a bit of a, a kind of there's lots of things that have happened because of that gig and unfortunately with lockdown you know that's kind of limited what we've been able to do and capitalize but the doors that have opened haven't closed so yeah i think so yeah today i think that's pretty much one of the most important gigs and moments i'd definitely echo grant's sentiment on that winter's end was definitely one of our best gigs ever with with that kind of response and the live sound and just that the majority of the people in that audience hadn't seen empire before and we got booed at the end because they wanted more which is always the that's always the right way to go it's difficult for me to reach a summation of like the biggest success of the band because there's been so many high points you know so far on this you know cli- use the cliche word journey just just off off the top of my head i mean we're a rock band that have got to collaborate with uh whispering bob harris you know we've had the opportunity you know to to record and do a session 
with that iconic radio uh, presenter and meeting Bob. You know, he is he is literally recorded and worked with and interviewed some of the biggest names in the music industry. And just to, just to have that opportunity is is a big deal. Um, other things we, we've been fortunate enough to land some unsigned gigs. Uh, Arena Birmingham, which is now I think World Resorts Arena, opening up on their unsigned stage before the Eagles, the actual Eagles, on uh, playing to all their fans. Uh, same setup playing to Shine Downs fans, Alter Bridges fans, uh, things like that. Various festival experiences. I mean, stuff like uh, even when we released Self Aware, we did an album party in London where we hired out the water rats to celebrate it. And we sold that place out and had a coach load of people travel from various parts of the UK down to London, fill up a coach load of people. And just seeing that was kind of like a rock star moment. And there, had, there has been so many high points so far. It's always good to reflect on on those experience because it's why we do it. It's, it's why we do it. You know, it's a labor of love. Uh, Being, being a musician is a lot of graft. You've got to really want it. You've got to really want to dedicate yourself to it. And the reward is in those things that you can reflect on and think, yeah, this is why we do it. So that there has been, I mean, the, the UK press response to self-aware was a massive highlight getting the attention from, magazines that I read as a kid, you know, going into WH Smith, reading magazines and then seeing the same people talk about our debut album and giving it the thumbs up is just like, um, they're, they're kind of pinch yourself moments and, and, and just also little things like in an audience when, uh, after a gig, when somebody comes up to you and they, they tell you how much a song means to them. We, we we've got one, fan that's been to one show he's been to winter's end and over the past year he's got two empire tattoos he's got <laughs> he's got lyrics i penned in a little room uh a few years ago tattooed on him permanently and he's seen us once and he's got uh and the empire leon emblem and stuff like that is just like that that is really unbelievable so there, there's to, Long may they continue. Long may they continue. So one of the really cool things for me as well, I've got a couple of young kiddies, is you know, with all the um, when we're going through the self-aware release, you know, going into a shop and opening up a magazine and there being a picture of me and the rest of the band and the kids seeing their dad in magazine, well, you know, was quite special. Uh, that, that reminds me of uh, when your wife was in. I think it might have been uh, a supermarket or a W H Smith and. She flipped the classic rock cover and John Lennon was on the front and your daughter went, Dada! <laughs> and pointed exactly, to, John, yeah. to John Lennon. <laughs> Basically, anyone with long hair and a beard. He was be in daddy. the hippie phase. That was the, the hippie phase yeah. of the Beatles. Yeah, that was that was classic moment. <laughs> so my last question, um, it actually links into something you were saying earlier about having plans and thoughts kind of moving forward what are your goals for the band in the next six months to a year or so i think we have got a very very healthy gig and festival schedule lined up over the next six months which we really want to capitalize on judging by the last two we've we've got a tour booked in september going all over the uk with another charting fantastic band called mason hill and hollow star and that is going to 
present our music to a whole new fan base and a lot of new locations. So uh, definitely within the ne next six months, the festivals, we've got Steelhouse, which is a big festival we've never played. Um, we've got various other festivals happening. Southfest, we're hopefully going back up to uh, Wildfire as well to play the bigger stage there. Yeah, that's that, that's happening as well. And as well as sporadic gigs throughout the next six months and just really the absence of gigs over the last 12 months, definitely to capitalize on that is, you know, and do our best efforts live and grow, grow the fan base in that respect and develop the band and develop the live show. We've also been recording, you know, we've, all, we've been in the studio. So part of now we've got the raw material, you know, will be, uh, you know, whether we need to go in and do some other things with edits and re-recording, we'll be very much starting the mixing and post-production side of things. Uh, I think I'd like to collaborate more with some companies. We, we collaborated with Yamaha last year and Guitar World. And, uh, you know, I'd li like to develop our relationships in the industry uh, in that respect. Improve musically, naturally, get the band tighter, improve the live show and continue to write, continue to write new material and uh, develop that aspect of the band moving forward. That's just off the top of my head, Grant. Well, I think you've pretty much covered most things, but yes, gigging. You've got a, a very busy gigging schedule. So we've got the Black Prince on the 26th, and then July is looking crazy. We've got Still House. We're playing with those damn crows at Tivoli in, um, in Wales. Then Savfest, Wildfire. And we've also got the Platform with Massive Wagons and Trucker Diablo in August. And as you said, we're, we're out on the road for, I think, is it three weeks with Mason Hill and Hollow Star. Um, and then I think there's some other bits in between as well. So gigs are looking healthy, super busy. And as did said, we're going to be very busy working on, on the second album and trying to get that ready. So, yes, lots and lots to do. I've got to say, um, in terms of your next things in the next six months, it sounds like there's a bit of everything coming forward. Yes, everything musical, all musical. So finally, I'd like to ask if we can play your favourite song from the band to play at the end of the podcast. So which song is that and why? Oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to pick something from the other side. I'm going to go with Stone from the other side. Um, it's a great track and I actually prefer it. Uh, I think it's stronger. The, the electric track is great as well in the acoustic form. So, yeah, that's my choice. Okay, for me, I that's a very difficult question, Phil, because I tend to not do favourites and favouritism. That's like asking, like, it's like asking Grant, what's your favourite child? Or, you know, like, what's my favourite cat? I love all cats. So, you know, from uh, Siamese cats to lions. So, for me, I'm going to uh, relate it to the present and how I'm feeling today. Where we feel uh, equally with Grant, I'm going to select something from the other side. And uh, I had a message through earlier about um, from the studio where we filmed uh, Only Way Out and it featured a grand piano by Yamaha, which then led to the collaboration. And they've asked, that, uh, they're, they're doing some new promotion for their studio, Crescent Studios in Swindon, and they, they want to use Only Way Out as one of their main videos to showcase the studio 
And I said, yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. So I'm going to go with Only Way Out, which you will see, well, you'll hear, but if you want to check out the video, just head to our YouTube channel. You will see in the video one of the best pianos I've played on in my life. And I I didn't realize it at the time, but when we researched the piano the day afterwards, we found out the value of it. And it was close to £150,000. And I was like, I pretty hit, I hit those keys pretty hard the day before. And I kind of wish I was a bit more sensitive. But uh, that is a really cool video. And I hope your listeners enjoy the track. Well, mm, well, this is a bit of a controversial moment. Um, I can only really play one of them unless I play one after the other. I don't mind. Yeah, that would be great. Play one after the other. Uh, otherwise, um, go with the uh, only way out. Very well. Let's play. I'll play. I'll put on both of them. So this is Empire with the only way out, guys. It's been really great to talk to you. Thanks for having us, Phil. Great. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
goodbye.